Who knows that we've sp- spoken a bit about grace over the last six weeks or so? People can remember that. What are we talking about? Grace, grace right. So this morning we're going to start our series, The Grace Invasion. Ooh. Sounds sort of nice but slightly warlike, doesn't it? Um, so th- to get things started, let's read from the text that we're actually discussing this morning, and that's from Galatians chapter 1, and starting from verse 11. And we have the Apostle Paul speaking here. And he's talking to the church or the people in the church or churches in Galatia, which is somewhere in the Middle East. I didn't check my map to see what modern day country responds to it. It's probably Iran or Iraq or possibly even Syria. Um, don't look now, just pay, look, look to the front, come on. <laughs> Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it from, by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion? How I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the tradition of my ancestors. Sounds like he's bragging a bit here. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvellous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and I am still, and still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Now what, what's Paul doing here? He's basically giving his testimony. In fact, this part of the epistle is also... Called, called the autobiographical section because he is sharing the account of his early conver- his conversion and his early Christian experience. Now we, we, we do that from time to time today. We get people up to give a testimony of what God has done in their life. And the reason here is, is much the same in that Paul's not actually trying to draw attention to himself. Reading some of that you sort of think, well gosh he was sort of a bit up himself at times. He was much better than anybody else at zeal. If there, was, if there was an Olympic medal for zeal, he reckons he was the gold medalist. You know, nobody else, the 100 metre zeal, the 200 metre zeal, the zeal hurdles, he had it all. And you might think, well, say he's bragging about this. But his actual reason for telling this is to actually point towards what God has actually done. He does it again in Acts, in Acts 22 and Acts 26. So it's not something that Paul is shy about, but he actually realises the power in his testimony. And so he does this for two reasons. The first is he's using it to refute the claims of people 
who want to undermine his gospel message. Now we've, we've looked at this in the previous week, so hopefully you understand the gospel message that Paul preaches is a gospel of good news, another G, yes, grace. Grace plus nothing, very good. So he's got these people, and if, if you read Galatians up to the point we've read, and I know we've skipped ahead a bit and cheated for you, but it still doesn't mention what that attack is. It still doesn't mention what these other gospel plus people are actually preaching. But we can tell from Paul's demeanour that he's dead set against it. So he's, he's going to use his testimony, and I'll show you how in a moment, to, to actually get rid of those arguments. And the second thing he wants to do is actually to make sure that it points to God, not to him. Because he's not trying to build himself up. He's actually trying to point the way to God. And I've just embarrassingly realised I've got two microphones here and I don't know why I'm using this one. <laughs> it's one, one of those things that I forgot. <laughs> I hope that's not a... Uh, Sign for this morning, the morning of forgetfulness. So, oh, hang on, these are last week's notes. No, no, just, jo- <laughs> just joking. So, why is he doing it this way? Why, why has he decided that he's going to tell his testimony? Why has he gone into such detail about what such, such a rat bag he was beforehand and how he's changed and, and what his experience was, who he talked to? And it's like, are we really interested in the fact that he spent 15 days with Peter and that he spoke to James? And what's, it, what's, what's the deal behind all of this? So, and, and basically it's because he's accusing his attackers of terrorism by introducing or reintroducing ideas that put our salvation back into our hands. They are effectively, in Paul's eyes, spreading bad news or terror, if you like something horrible into the lives of the Galatian Christians. So he regards it as terrorism. And you see, I don't know how you view terrorists, but terrorists operate outside society's boundaries. They're often very easily identifiable at a personal level, and we all have pictures in our minds of what a terrorist looks like. Probably something a bit like this. Now, of course, he's masked to protect his identity. Um, and some people these days would expect slightly more accoutrements that would identify them, perhaps a, a beard or something similar, but we're trying to be fairly non-confrontational terrorists, okay? <laughs> the best sort, let me tell you, the best sort. Um, but, I mean, when you think of terrorists, that's the sort of picture people have in their mind. They think of an individual who's masked to protect their identity and carrying an archaic weapon which is still very dangerous. And there's that uncertainty that you don't know whether they're going to unleash it anywhere. In a, in a kindergarten or an army base, doesn't seem to matter. And so it's uncontrollable. But when we think of counter-terrorism, our view isn't as personal. Because we expect that counter-terrorist organisations, which are actually run by our society, they're supposed to follow the rules. Well, mostly. At least, they follow the rules where we can see them. What, we, what they do behind the scenes, we don't care. But they ha- they're supposed to operate within society's moral boundaries. And as a result, they're often viewed as impersonal, faceless organisations with imposing names or catchy acronyms like the ones behind me. The CIA and the SAS and the, the Department of Homeland Security. Sounds really impressive, doesn't it? 
except they're basically just a, a group of thugs like terrorists, but they have government approval. <laughs> Who dares? That's the SAS. They're the people. Yes. <laughs> oh, good grief. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Yeah, for those of you unaware, the television shows are actually based on other things based on television shows. Um, but Paul has aligned himself as a counter-terrorist. And so he knows how people think. People are expecting the CIA. Except they didn't actually have the CIA back there. And Paul does not have a faceless organisation which he can hide behind. And so he, he realises though that Whatever he says, people are going to judge him based on the society of the time's moral and cultural boundaries and guidelines. And that he cannot act like a terrorist and come out of left field and just go in and, and shoot them all because they've said the wrong thing. He actually has to convince people from within the guidelines and the boundaries of that society. And so that's why he uses his testimony. Because he has to come from a place of strength he's got to be of impeachable character and he has to use his own personal experience and as he unfolds his story it becomes his most powerful anti-terrorism weapon and so that's why he's using his personal testimony because it's he's got to come from a position of strength and character from the boundaries of society he can't be like the terrorists and just tear through and and do whatever he likes, because people just won't listen to him. They'll regard him as a, as a radical, um, and, and they won't, in the main, listen. So there are three attacks that he wants to address. The first one is that the gospel message that he brings might have come out of his own mind, reasoning, understanding, his own, because he's a clever guy, that Paul is very well educated. And so the argument could be put that he, he went away and he thought about this for a bit, and he thought, wouldn't it be a good idea? If I made up this stuff about God and uh, I came up with this theology that um, grace, that's a good word for it, let's, let's use grace, um, whatever that is in Aramaic or Hebrew. Um, and so he was being accused of the fact that, you know, we know you're a clever guy, you, you might have made this stuff up. Who's to say our idea isn't as good as your idea? The second thing that he wants to put to rest is the idea that he might have gone to Jerusalem because there were other disciples around in Jerusalem and he might have said to them, look, you know, I've changed my mind. Uh, tell us about this God person and uh, what he's all about and I'll, I'll do whatever you say. And so they fed him the doctrine so he, he's going out and he's using ideas that he got from the other disciples. And the third thing he wants to do is once he's cleared that, he's putting forward the proof that as he went to other areas where they didn't know him, the message that he preached matched the message they were preaching. So even, even though they didn't know who he was, apart from the fact that he was the guy who was going around killing everybody, it's a great thing. We've got a guest speaker this morning, uh, well-known um, Andy Christian. Uh, he's killed thousands of people. I'd like you to introduce Paul. Yay! Come on. I mean, you know, it's like, what did you invite him here for? <laughs> He's going to kill us all. You know, th this was about the, the level of notoriety that he had. And yet suddenly he comes in and he preaches and they're all sitting there thinking, oh, that's the message we got. This guy's for real. And so he uses his, 
his testimony to debunk all of those arguments. The first one, of course, is obvious because he talks about his conversion. There was no thinking involved in his conversion. He was knocked off his ass. Donkey. Sorry. Same thing, really. But he, he, was, he was murderously riding along, thinking about the next mob of Christians he was going to kill. He wasn't riding along thinking, I'm sick of this. Perhaps I should convert to Christianity. You think they'd accept me? I haven't killed that many, have I? And, you know, it's a good, I like the arguments. It's really good, yeah. yeah. When I get to the next town, I think I'll just change sides. He wasn't thinking that. He was thinking, are my knives sharp? How many do you think I can get at this place? And suddenly, bang! God strikes him down. He's lying on the ground saying, what, what the heck am I? What's, why are you persecuting me? Who the heck are you? It was a violent turnaround in his life. And suddenly he's struck blind and told to go to um, Anias' house. And, and it's like, he didn't think that stuff up. He was smacked around by God. And if you think about it, why did God choose Paul? The worst person in the world you could have chosen. There were some really nice people out there you could have picked who said, oh yeah, I like God. Yeah, I'll do what you say. Yeah, let me preach. Let me preach. I'll, I'll go and preach to the Gentiles. Yeah, I'm a good guy. And he picks this guy. Scum of the earth, radical killer. He says, okay, you're my messenger. I want you to go and preach a gospel of grace and peace and love. <laughs> You can imagine Paul going, forget that. But no, the ex conversion experience he had was so powerful, there's no way he could have thought it up. And he had witnesses, people there saying, what the heck is that voice? Why is Paul looking? I can, I can hear a voice, but I can't hear what it's saying, but he looks frightened. So the idea that Paul thought it up, is it's not a clever idea that he had. He was smacked around, given the boot, and turned from the most unlikely well, from the most likely assassin to the most unlikely disciple in, a bl in the blink of an eye. So he debunks that one. I mean, he was so bad that even martyrdom didn't... I mean, he saw people. Stephen, Acts 8.1 says, Paul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So it wasn't like he was a bit iffy about this. Ooh, it looks painful. Perhaps you shouldn't have done that. Could he killed him a bit quicker or something? No, he, he, was, he was into it. He was... He was mercilessly, nastily, horribly, torturously, rabidly wrong. We got, the, we got the picture. He was a naughty boy. He really was. Secondly, he undermines the claim that his gospel message was derived from the other apostles by pointing out the fact that he didn't go and see them. As soon as he had got a revelation from Jesus Christ, he actually went away. He meditated. He went to Arabia. He didn't talk to the other disciples at all so he, unless they were passing secret messages under the table which is unlikely he didn't get any prompting he didn't get any teaching he didn't go to bible college to learn all of this stuff he went away and spent time alone reflecting on what had happened to him so he wasn't a puppet of of jerusalem bible college and the third thing uh, as we talked about when he did finally meet james and, and peter and all of these other people that they check to see whether the gospel he was preaching was the same as the one they were preaching because these guys in Galatia knew Peter and they knew James and so if Paul's message checked out with Peter and James that meant that Paul was telling the truth so he's, he's, in telling that simple testimony he's debunked all three of those arguments straight off the bat 
And so he's feeling pretty confident. But his testimony isn't just there to establish his authority as a gospel teacher. See, it's there to illustrate some of the aspects of the gospel of grace. And you might think we've covered this. We did, we've talked about gospel detox. You know, we've been on a bit of a diet detoxing the gospel. Now suddenly we've got an invasion from outer space. I love that picture, but it's probably not as Middle Eastern as it could be. But I th- it, it suits, you know, SAS being the fear factor sort of culture, I think. Um, but what he's talking about here shows us that the gospel of grace underpins every step in our Christian life. Paul keeps coming back to it. And so we should keep coming back to it in our lives, in our prayers, in our thoughts, in our witness, our preaching and in our teaching. We should never actually forget, there's that word again, the gospel of grace. See, the strongest picture we get of Paul in his testimony is not only is he brutally honest about his pre-Christian self, he was a zealous, narrow-minded, murderous bastard. I mean, no getting away from it. But he's also adamant that he was saved while he was still a zealous, narrow-minded, murderous bastard. Which means that it was God and God alone who saved him. Now, here's where his message becomes vital to us. Because how we see ourselves is actually a picture of how we see God. And I, I want to go to nature. Who, who, likes, who likes nature? Who likes caterpillars? I have a, a nice caterpillar here. This is a, he's a really friendly looking guy, this one. He's a real caterpillar. I found him on Google. But this is a perfect example of the discrepancy that we find between who we appear to be and who we really are. Because if I was really mean and I got said friendly caterpillar and I crushed him up in a test tube into little, little bits and I put him in the machine and I extracted his DNA... And then I took it to a, a DNA sequencing lab and I said, this is sample A, tell me what it is. They would sequence the DNA and they would come to me and say, we've got the answer. And I'd say, okay, tell me what it is. And they'd say, this is the DNA of a butterfly. I'd say, ha ha, ha fooled you, you're wrong, it's not, it's a caterpillar. And they'd say, no, I'm sorry, you... It may look like a caterpillar, but it's actually a butterfly. It's going to turn into one of these. Now, think about it. God has wired into a creature. Can we go back to our friendly... He's wired into Hamish here, the (laughs) caterpillar. I don't know, he just looks like a Hamish. I don't know what it is. Um, He's wired into... This creature who looks nothing like a butterfly. A complete butterfly identity. That, that caterpillar is lacking nothing in its DNA to be a butterfly. That is actually a butterfly in disguise. Nothing happens to a caterpillar that changes its essential structure to turn it into a butterfly. I don't know whether you've ever watched one. Who knows caterpillars eat a lot? They eat leaves. Have you ever 
Listen to one cogitating as it eats. I hope this is the right sort of leaf to turn me into a, a butterfly. It might not be. Perhaps I'll try this one over here because I, I want to turn into a butterfly and I've got to work out how it's done. You, you never hear them doing that if you've ever listened. You don't see them trying different sorts of leaves thinking, whoa, perhaps this is the trick. Perhaps if we eat facing north, that will help. They just eat. And, you know, I've interviewed a few. <laughs> and the really weird thing is none of them know what a butterfly is. You happy? Yep. What are you doing? Eating? How's life? Good. Yeah, have you ever thought of being something different? Different? Like what? Butterfly? What's that? Uh, it's, it's one of those things. Ah, I'm happy, thanks. Just doing what I'm doing. And yet one day, suddenly, they're going to be a butterfly. And, you know, how do you feel having, uh, having managed to turn to a butterfly? Oh, well, didn't have much to do with it, really. It just happened. How do you feel? I feel same as I ever did. What do you mean? Well, I was always one of these, wasn't I? Uh, yeah, you were. Well, why should I feel any different? Well, you look different. Oh, so what? The DNA we've just shown was the same in the caterpillar as it was in the butterfly. Just because it looks different doesn't mean it is different. The caterpillar was always a butterfly. And the trouble is, we suffer from that sort of thinking where we look around and all we see is caterpillars. We look at ourselves and we see caterpillar. And suddenly we have God telling us, hey, you accept the gift of grace, my son Jesus Christ, you're a butterfly. <laughs> Whoa, butterfly, huh? Hang on. I'm still a caterpillar. And God says, no, 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 you're a butterfly. And so we, we go to God and we say, you're a liar. You're, you're, you're pulling my leg. You're making a mockery of my life by telling me I'm a butterfly, but everybody sees a caterpillar. And you tell, you tell me all these other people are butterflies as well, and I'm, I'm looking at them. I can see caterpillars. I'm not silly. You can't tell me there's butterflies in there because I cannot see it. Who's ever seen DNA? I have. Well, I've seen the radioactive bits that it gives off when... Anyway. Who's ever been able to tell just by looking at it? Because it's a, it's a white gloopy stuff. It's a bit gross, really. But by looking at it, you can't, you can't tell, oh, yes, that's the gene for um, red hair. It, it all looks the same. Just because you can't see the potential in it doesn't mean that it isn't there. And God has come into our lives and he said, this is you. But the trouble is we go back and all we can see is this is us. And so we think God's lying. We, we think there's got to be more. There's got to be more. If I'm going to go from that to a butterfly, what do I have to do? There's got to be a secret. There's a scripture that I haven't read yet that is the secret to this. I need to join the Illuminati <laughs> so that I can work out the, the mysteries of life so that I can actually turn from caterpillar into that butterfly. And that's the trap we all fall into in that we look at our outward appearance 
we hear the voice of God saying, you're a butterfly. Everything that I have put in you means that you are a butterfly. You have the, D- the God DNA of a butterfly inside of you. You are holy, righteous, you are a saint, pure, godly. And we look and we think, I hear the words, but I see in the mirror, there's got to be something I can do to make what I see in the mirror look like what God's telling me. No, there isn't. There is absolutely nothing you can do. And that is the secret of grace. It's actually in our mind. If we trust God that he has put everything inside of us to make us holy, then we should trust him that no matter what we look like, if we live with the love of Jesus Christ on us, if we take Jesus on a journey in our daily lives and face the, the fears and, and the problems and the misgivings and the sin in our lives with Jesus every day, trusting that what he's told us we will be, we are, then we will turn from a caterpillar to a butterfly. But we cannot change an iota because the DNA is in us. We just have to trust that if we walk with God, that transformation takes place. It sounds really easy, doesn't it? It is so hard because caterpillars do not look like that. And we look at around ourselves, we look at ourselves and we, we say, I cannot see anything holy in the mirror. God must be lying. There's got to be something I can do. So we, we, we go around and we please God. We think, well, okay, if I, if I sing really loudly in church, I'll just feel holier because I'm, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. God will be pleased by my worship. I'll, I'll help the poor. That's what I'll do. I'll give money to the poor. Because it says in the Bible it's a good thing to do. So that'll please God. That'll make me holier. Nice try. I'll go into ministry. Because that way people in ministry are really holy. (laughs) You weren't supposed to to laugh quite that loudly. (laughs) Because they've got... They're in ministry because they've got their lives all together. (laughs) Ha! We're in ministry because we're trusting God to turn us from a caterpillar into a butterfly. And we're just as frustrated as everybody else is that it hasn't happened yet. But it's a question of trusting God. That he has put whatever you need inside of you and it will come to pass because he has promised. There isn't, we shouldn't be trying to be holy. The things we do, giving to the poor is great. But it's a, it's a product of holiness. Holiness isn't a result of giving to the poor. It really comes down to trusting that God knows what he's doing. And that he has actually already done everything that needs to happen. We're still looking for a change in our lives. We're still looking for the light bulb to go on. We're still looking for our life to change somehow because we've been trying to change it. But instead... We need to trust that God has put the DNA of holiness inside of us. And as we walk with Jesus on a daily basis, that DNA will eventually 
show our true character if we keep walking. Now, we can derail that. But don't. That's, that's what Paul's telling us here. He, he's telling us that he is still that caterpillar that killed Christians. But God came down, changed his DNA, and he is holy. He's not holy because he suddenly started preaching the gospel. He's not holy because he just stopped killing Christians. He's not holy because he suddenly got a revelation of who God was. He's holy because God changed his DNA. And he walked through. He probably still had murderous thoughts about some Christians. We all do. (laughs) He probably, uh, he admits that there's there's sin in his life that he can't control. That he can't do. He talks about the thorn in his side that he asks God to remove but God refuses. There's temptations that he, he struggles with. He's not the perfect Christian. But he is somebody who's come to a realisation that nothing he can do can change the fact that God has changed him. Changed his DNA at a basic level and that if he's following God there is nothing that he can do or not do that will stop that transformation into a holy person. And it's the same is true as every single one of us here. That as soon as we accept Jesus, our DNA changes. Our eye colour doesn't change. Our hair doesn't change. Our weight doesn't fluctuate any more than it did before. (laughs) We often don't physically change. I mean, some people have amazing conversion experiences where things do change instantly. But it's actually not about a physical change. It's not even mental or emotional change. It's actually a change in who you trust. Do you trust that God has changed your DNA? Because that's what he has done. And once we recognise that, once we realise that we cannot strive to turn ourselves into who God wants us to be, because he's already done it, then I think we can relax a bit. We can actually concentrate on living. We can concentrate on worshipping God, on trusting God, on praying, on doing those things, not because out of a sense of duty, but because we're trusting that that's what happens in life. That's what works. Faith pleases God. Trust God. Trust God that you are a butterfly. You might look like a caterpillar. But trust God. He has put the DNA in you of who you are meant to be and you cannot change that. Can I just get you to close your eyes? I want to invite you, if you're here today and you've, you've heard a, a message that has changed your ideas about Jesus Christ and who he is and, and what he does for people. And you may never have called yourself a Christian, you may never have had a desire to follow Jesus Christ because you've thought, well, A, it's too hard. B, there are too many rules and regulations. And see, I can't see how God has often changed the people around me. 
you've lived a life where you believe what you see that you somehow think that your holiness is in your hands and this morning you've realized that all it takes is to accept an offer from Jesus Christ to change your very DNA and that once you've accepted that you don't have to do anything else except walk with Jesus because he has put the DNA inside of you that will inevitably change you through no effort on your part except to trust God if you've never accepted that offer if you've never said okay I'm prepared to accept that Jesus is real that he can change my life I want to live a life as a Christian you've never expressed that said that thought that and this morning you want to start to live life differently you want to say okay I'm prepared to put my trust in Jesus Christ all it takes is a declaration a prayer if you like to say that you want to accept that offer I'd love to pray that prayer with you if you're here this morning and you'd allow me to pray that prayer with you while nobody's looking around all heads are bowed that's you could you just lift your hand so that I can see it because I'd love to pray with you anyone want to take that step of saying okay I'm not even sure I understand what it's about but I want my DNA changed I want my life to be a holy life not through my efforts but through the promise of Jesus Christ if you're here this morning just raise your hand You may have done that before. You may even go to church, call yourself a Christian, but you realize that you've actually stopped trusting God. You've started working at your own salvation and your own strength. You can take a step, pray that same prayer to bring your trust back in line what God says and trust in Jesus Christ instead he's not just the God of the second chance he's the God of any, every chance you can take if that's you this morning can you raise your hand we'll pray the same prayer with you to bring your life back in line with Jesus Christ okay can you open your eyes and let's stand Now, I know most of us don't want to admit it, so I'm not going to ask people. But I'm going to assume that we all struggle because although we like to think that we're butterflies, most of us will admit to being caterpillars. I remember one speaker saying, we're all worms. Some of us are glowworms. We're all caterpillars and some are hairier and spikier than others. Some are really friendly looking like Hamish there. But but we actually need to get rid of that thinking. Because 
that thinking is killing us. The fact that we look at our outward appearance, we look at our lifestyle, we look at, you know, our, our own in, index of holiness. You know, if you had an index of holiness between 0 and 10, now without telling anybody right now, but I want you to think of a number that you'd rate yourself right now. Are you a holy roller at 10? Are you just a sickening scumbag at zero? You see, God doesn't have a scale of holiness because he has given you the DNA of holiness. You are holy, end of story, your external appearance and your sin notwithstanding. But we refuse to trust God because we won't come near him because we think he's got a scale like us. I'm not sure I can really worship today because I'm only feeling number two. I'm not really holy and sort of I feel a bit of a bit of a hypocrite worshiping God because, you know, I smacked the kids five minutes ago and I'm feeling really bad. Or I cut somebody off and gave them the finger on my way to church. And I'm standing here worshiping God. How can God, God's standing up there going, you, you hypocrite. How can you worship me when you were such a rude bugger only half an hour ago? God looks at you and he says, wow, there's someone with holy DNA worshipping me. Fabulous. But our heads get in the way. I want to pray for us all, all of us caterpillars. Because we need to get a revelation. But inside every single one of us is the DNA of holiness put in there by God. It can't leak out. It can't get mutated. It reproduces perfectly the whole time. But we need to recognize that. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I am holy. I am holy. I really believe that I am holy. I'm not just saying it. I'm not just pretending. I am trusting you, your word, your Holy Spirit, and your grace that I am holy yesterday, today, and for the whole of my future. And I'm going to act that way because I trust you through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Excellent. You look, look like butterflies to me. Awesome. You guys have a great week. If you're going to presence, you're almost guaranteed a great week. Um, if you're not, you're still holy. You can, and you can watch it online. In fact, I did think I might not preach this morning because Oxford Falls was streaming their morning service available to everybody because they had um, Stephen Furtick preaching this morning. And he's nearly as good as me. I mean, hey. Um, the only trouble is with the time difference, we'd still be watching him. And, uh, and I've got a flight to catch, <laughs> which I'm really looking forward to. So thank you.